you sirens. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two. You've made it this far. Yay. Congratulations. We're really excited. We're really excited. And we're really excited because Marcy has an amazing mic now, too. I do. Thank you to my husband, Brent, who um, unwillingly uh, donated it to the pop culture theologians. Thank you, Brent. We're toppling the patriarchy one purchase at a time. So we want to thank you um, for uh, coming to our podcast and uh, welcome to Pop Culture Theologians. You know, we want to throw a special shout out to Engaged Gays. That's the site that we're hosted on. And that's G-A-Z-E, even though Engaged Gays is probably another thing too, but we're the engagedgays.com. So we really... um, thank them for hosting us each week and you can go there and check out other episodes that we've done um about pop culture theologians such as westworld and um a few other one-offs that marcy's done and you can also follow us on twitter at pop theologians and find us on facebook at pop theologians too um and you really want to go check out our twitter page because we had some really sassy tweets for this week's episode didn't we marcy yes we did i live tweeted did you I live tweeted when I watched it on Pacific Coast time. Um, so it <laughs> I was felt great. bad. I was like, I hope he's not following my Twitter, but then I wasn't going to not live tweet it. No, of course. We, the, <laughs> the people need to hear from us. And, you know, if you feel so inclined, please go out and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. We really appreciate it. Um, but we're going to get into just a real quick news breakdown and really what happened this week, or should I say, what the hell happened this week, Marcy? Why don't we just like cut to the chase that I have a sailor mouth? What the fuck happened this week, John? (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. been a crazy, crazy week. We have, you know what? Let's start off with like the biggest thing. Lodestar, this New York Times piece. Um, Do you have, do you, who do you think it, who do you think it is? Well, I really think Mike Pence's soliloquy to the American people was really well written. And I really look forward to <laughs> finding out it's him in future years. Or if this is one of those things that we find out, like when you and I are like 80 about like who really deep throat was like that type of thing. I'm all for living as long as I can to know I was right. I seriously think it's going to be less than a month and we know who Lodestar is. Um, you know who does know? Amarosa. I know. Amarosa said it was Pence. Um, my brother thinks it's Pence. Uh, I I don't know. I think that could be a red herring. I've read a lot of J.K. Rowling, though, so I'm like always looking for clues that are going to mislead me. And why are we calling it Lodestar, though, Marcy, for our listeners? Oh, sure. Um, so this opinion piece has this word Lodestar in it, like five, six times. And I don't know about you, it's not a normal word, right? But when you Google it, apparently... Pence has said it a bunch of times uh, while he's live being filmed. So um, that's why I think it's a red herring. I also know that like I pick up words that people use um, around me. So like I said, I'm a Valley girl, right? So when I go home, I end up picking up a lot of like San Fernando Valley speak, but I went to school in the deep South and all of a sudden it was like, I was a Valley girl who said y'all a lot, right? So it could just be someone who's been listening to pets, right? And has picked it up. But um, I, I will tell you that I will be really excited if it's Kellyanne Conway, because I just think it would be a hilarious kind of exit for her. So uh, in other news, we have uh, the Kavanaugh on the floor uh, debacle. Uh, John, I know that you 
told our listeners that you do a lot for women's rights. Um, how do you feel about Kavanaugh on the floor? So Kavanaugh, hell nah, is hell more nah. like it. Um, <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh is Trump's second um, nominee for the Supreme Court. He's filling Anthony Kennedy, the longtime swing vote, even though he's really not a swing vote. He cast like a few votes in favor of really good social liberal issues that we like. And half the rest of the time, casting really, really conservative votes. So let's be real here about where his real jurisprudence is. But um, Dahlia Lithwick, if you're listening, that's my key to you about really the breakdown of Anthony Kennedy's legal background. However, um, Kavanaugh is most likely going to be confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. It does not seem like we will have a miracle happening now needing to get almost three votes in the U.S. Senate with the Arizona governor appointing um, a senator to replace the late John McCain. And basically what that means is we're all fucked. Right. I know. I'm still holding out for a miracle. Uh, we've seen some like crazy badassery on the floor, but it's like we're living in the purge. Uh, it's just, it's hard to process. So speaking of the purge, the purge premiered. <laughs> the purge premiered. Marcy, let's break down episode the one. Purge. <laughs> what is America? What is America, John? So. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of class four and lower have been authorized for use during the purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed. Commencing at the siren, any and all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 continuous hours. Police, fire, and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. when the purge concludes. Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all. Really? Um, the first thing that I saw when I was watching this episode is... I really had a lot of ideas for what this episode really should be called. So, Marcy, why don't you go first? Like, what would you have called the actual episode in our own sassy speak? So, I actually really like What is America? Because I thought of Sasha Conan's show. Um, and I feel like everyone's just kind of, like, shrugging their shoulders and saying, like, what is this, right? Um, but after watching the first episode, um, and I'll go into this a little bit later, I think I would have called this, oh, shit. This is the worst cult ever. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know what I would have called it? What do you want to call this episode? No, I'm not working on Purge Night, Becky. Seriously. I think if there's two things that stood out from this episode, it's who, who works Purge Night and there are better cults to join. So let's break down this episode, John. Let's really break it down. So um, what we really see, you know, is that it is, um, was, well, it was filmed in New Orleans. Um, and right away when we are introduced to the opening credits, we're introduced to a character named Miguel. Marcy, do you want to tell us a little bit about him? Yeah. Okay. So we start off with this Miguel character. He has just returned from war and he is searching for his sister. Um, his sister is Penelope and she's played by Jessica Garza and Penelope is missing, right? And so when the show starts, we're like a couple minutes out from the purge, right? And we meet this dude and he's like, where is my sister? And we're supposed to have like this buildup of anxiety, right? And we find out that Miguel and Penelope's parents uh, died in a past purge. Uh, which I was, I've always thought about this, like, 
the levels of trauma in society as purge years go by, could you imagine like everyone's like a veteran, right? Like I survived the purge or like I lost like my brother in 05. I lost like my best friend in 2011. I killed my ex-boyfriend in 2018. Like the levels of trauma is crazy. But we find out Miguel and Penelope, um, their parents are dead and Penelope has decided to join a cult. Um, Shocker. It was a little bit of a shocker to me, mostly because, um, hello listeners, I'm just going to give a a very simple statement. I love talking about cults. So when I use that, Marcy, (laughs) I was in a cult. (laughs) I was in a cult in college. Um, not this type of cult. Uh, I was in like a super Orthodox Catholic cult. Um, but there was a lot of crossover. Like there was a ton of crossover in this episode. So like the first thing we see when we're introduced to this cult, right, is everyone's dressed in like these light blue kind of Marian garb outfits um, that are a huge like visual symbol for like the Virgin Mary and virginal offerings, right? And then we find out that every single purge people in this cult, which I don't think they they had a name in this episode, did they, John? Um, I just am going to call them the really pretty blue, lightly lavender colored people. <laughs> we'll call them the blues for now. The right? blues, because they give me the blues. Yeah, no, it's like the most depressing cult I've ever seen. The people in the blues uh, on purge night will offer themselves up to purgers so they can join the invisible. And so I'm going to guess the invisible is some type of numinous, like, uh, allegory for like crossing the rainbow bridge, the beyond, whatever it is. Um, but it's like a really stupid premise, right? Um, but so are most foundational theories and theologies of cults. So what we can infer from it is the world sucks. Uh, 2018 purge dystopian world. The purge sucks. Depression is rampant. Fear is rampant. And you know, like when people are afraid and when they're looking for structure in madness and chaos, that's when cults really become appealing to people. So um, we, when we meet these people in the blue, they're super young, right, John? Like they're, yeah. I'm, I'm finally at the point where people in their 20s look really young to me. So these kids are like really young. And Well, as a 21-year-old, Marcy, um, specifically someone that just turned 21 plus 12, um, I have to say that they were just really broken kids to me. They really looked so sad, but there was this type of blank uh, stare that they gave when they were talking about the purge and what they were going to be offering. And of course it was that, you know, um, you know, the, the calm before the storm of what they actually saw. And we'll get there for the end because the episode ends with very specific imagery, but they don't really know what they're getting themselves into. Like many people that join a cult. And that's why it's really sad to see, you know, these broken kids there, you know, offering themselves and they're like almost innocence or they're, trying to regain that innocence to these leaders that just take advantage of it. Right. And so we meet this like leader, right? She's played, we don't have a name for her, but she's played by Fiona Dureth, um, who is, fun fact, daughter of Brad Dureth, who is the voice of Chucky in the Chucky films. So I'm going to call her horror royalty. So this cult leader is kind of, um, she's, she's calming them down. She's giving them these like very, like Buddhist-esque verses to like mull over and pray with before they get 
purged and they all kind of jump on this bus and they're all on their way and they're going to be dropped off one by one to a bunch of purgers and the blue bus by the way blue bus right oh my gosh it's like blue bus with these yeah but um what's interesting is as i was like kind of watching this montage of penelope has joined a cult and this cult uh all gather together and then go and offer themselves up to purgers all i could think of was this is a very meta purge within a purge right so this cult leader we're just going to call her fiona until we have an actual character name there's something in her face as she's telling them how beautiful it is that they're going to be purged and enter the invisible they actually don't call it being purged they called it the giving which is super like christian allegory of suffering um every so like it like john said i was in a cult right and every dude i knew ended up uh discerning the priesthood to be celibate for the rest of their lives. And instead of talking about it, like it was going to be super hard and like a huge uh, sacrifice, it was like a gift of giving. So gross. Like, it was like a gift of giving. So hearing that they're referring to their offering as a giving, I'm like, of course they are. Of course they are. Um, beautiful gift guys. <laughs> beautiful gift. Thank you for your gift. <laughs> yeah. So does Miguel ever catch up with Penelope in this episode, John? um no that would be a big old n-o no he's like always like two feet behind her which is like obnoxious but it lets us follow her uh and her buddies on their way to their ultimate givings and mind you that's like half the episode too like half the episode is you get meet miguel you see him going to a rehabilitation center with this kid that's there that's oddly obsessed with guns and the woman that runs it um, it's it's yeah. funny that he's obsessed with guns, right? It's it's almost like there is a tie between gun culture, toxic masculinity, and violence in this world. Marcy, no such connections exist. How could you ever think that toxic masculinity is related to such diabolical tools of instruments of torture? <laughs> <laughs> so like we said they do this bus ride and then uh fiona cult leader one by one stops the bus kind of walks up and down the bus and picks the person who has to come out and be the gift of giving so get purged um as the episode's kind of coming to an end the first pick of the night is picked by Fiona. And so she's kind of like looking and mulling over these really young kids who have this kind of like anxious anxiety in the bus. So they look kind of hyped up, which John, you've been scared before. I've been scared before. I know that feeling of like when the adrenaline's hitting and you're like, am I excited? No, I'm fucking terrified. Terrified. <laughs> and so their faces are terrified. Yeah, it's awful to watch it. And she just, she like kind of hovers over this like young white dude. And like, she's like, it's your turn for the giving. And like this dude's walk out the bus to the people in the purge masks, including like a dude in a bunny outfit. It is the longest walk ever. Like that's not a walk of shame. That is like a walk of horror. It's and also fully adult, adult grown women and men with pickup trucks, I'm guessing, with bright, shiny lights yeah, spotted yeah. on with axes not like like oh we're gonna stab you like they had full-on axes and this young boy i think his name was arthur he was pretty cute but i digress but he is walking out there he's rechanting whatever prayer they're saying and he 
goes up to be purged, to offer himself, to give the gift. And as the people start slowly approaching, what do we see in his face that most people do? Total regret. Total regret. Like total oh shit moment. Like this wasn't metaphorical. Like I'm not anyone's hero. No, no one's going to hear me scream. Like what the fuck do I do? And I'm going to take a bit of a dark turn for a second. So children being offered at the altar of violence. Does that sound familiar to you? Marcy, yet again, like with your toxic masculinity comment, I have no idea what you're talking about with institutions that prey upon the young and the impressionable for their own psychotic um, agendas. So I don't know what type of agenda you're trying to push here. <laughs> right? It was, it was really strange because I think... Um, I think when you're watching, if you look at it as a very long metaphor for how much we're willing to give up at the altar of, of violence, of toxic masculinity, of gun culture, like we're watching a really kind of long drawn out metaphor. Like we are bringing children to the altar who are scared, who have lost hope and just dropping them off so a bunch of baby boomers can legit cut them up into pieces because that is their right given to them by the constitution. And so it, it feels like when we we're talking about it, it feels heavy handed, but it didn't feel heavy handed in the episode. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was done really well. It was. It was really troubling to watch. I think this is why when you said like in our first episode about how you're such a horror fan and I'm not, I have, I can watch horror movies, but only if, after I've seen them once because then I exactly know where all the scares are. So I'm not really like terrified. Um, and that's kind of just like me finding out the spoilers before the spoiler. Like I have to do it. Like I still cannot watch The Walking Dead without reading the episode description first and then going <laughs> and watching it because I need to know exactly when the zombies are going to jump out and totally eat people. But what I really saw with this young kid and all these kids in this bus is that they're just completely broken. And here you have a system, almost like a religious institution that we've seen in today's world, um, really take advantage of the poor, the broken, the downtrodden, those that are seeking some type of spiritual salvation because you live in a world that you might not fully understand and you're fully taken and you're abused by that and I think that says more about the power that we give to institutions than we do about ourselves and I think it's really sad that we are already drawing parallels to the types of institutions that we have in our quote-unquote real world versus what we see on our television screen and I was really troubled by that last scene it was it really was effed up yeah, no, for sure. And this is my, um, the more you know moment of, this is why the Beatitudes don't work. Uh, <laughs> they just don't. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the, like, it, it's just, it's a frustrating concept that Christianity has really pushed on people that like the smaller and smaller and smaller you make yourself, the more powerful that smallness is. And it's like, go fuck your smallness. Like that kid should never have been in that position, but if he was, he should have run. So Mm -hmm. let's let's kind of die let's let's take a little bit of a turn so there's actually three major storylines in this episode so that first one is miguel and penelope and the worst um cult ever let's talk about jane john tell us about yeah. jane 
So we meet Jane, um, who is played by Amanda Warren, and we're introduced to her. She's a very well put together woman, very businesslike. Um, and she is talking with her mom in a hospital. And if you remember from our previous episode, hospitals are excluded from the purge. They can't be attacked. So people that are actually in hospitals are safe. So she leaves her mom because she has to work on purge night. I know. <laughs> And so it just is really twisted, not only the universe that we're in, but they then have employers say, oh, by the way, you have to work on purge night. And I just have to ask you, Marcy, would you ever work on purge night? That depends. Uh, am I allowed to purge coworkers? <laughs> this no. is a fictional world, so <laughs> we cannot answer that with any no who, no one's no one is working on purge night like there is no hr department that's like yeah you, you have to work on purge night like it just it, it's a little bit ludicrous uh which they kind of soften it by like when she gets to her office like there's like these like security guards and they've signed like these like waivers that they won't purge but no, I'm not working on purge night. No one should have to work on purge night. No one should have to work on purge night. Unless and, you're uh, really poor, John. Because if you're really poor, you might be safer at work. You might be safer at work. Or like we saw in the films, protecting your 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 workplace if you're a business owner. Right, right. And so she's on the, so we meet her. She's on the 30th floor. She um, joined, is joined by her, what I'm guessing is assistant or someone that's underneath her. Um, they all sign waivers saying that they won't participate in the purge and that they can only be kept safe on the 30th floor. So we really don't know what she does because anytime, um, and this is a spoiler alert, when her boss shows up, it's a Baldwin brother. So whenever a Baldwin brother is involved, you never really know what's going to go on. But you look from her, the look on her face is that she's definitely up to something. And so what we all see is that her boss comes on. They have to do some deal overseas in China, I believe. And her boss, Don, played by William Baldwin, um, says something I found completely creeping that he's always watching because the video screen just pops on when they're already getting set up for their meeting. They had no idea it was starting. And he says he's always watching. So I was automatically going because I'm friends with Kristen Gerties, um, going to Foucault's Panopticon and the All-Seeing Eye. So that's a big shout out to our friend Kirsten. But really, um, pro what is actually going to go on? I have no idea. I love how you go to Foucault and I go to Roz from Monsters, Inc. Like, all I hear is... <laughs> Always watching Wazowski. <laughs> so I'll do that as a shout out to my brother who loves Pixar as well. <laughs> this is amazing. And this leads us to one of our going to be favorite segments is our definitely our Purge of the Week segment. Marcy, what's that about? So I'm a huge Bravo fanatic. Um, I love Andy Cohen. And he does this thing like the jackhole of the week. So like, it's like, who is my asshole of the week? And I was like, John, we should have our purge of the week. Like, who would we purge this week? Um, I want to say like a perpetual Donald Trump. Uh, but I think that that one's just a given for both of us, right? Mm -hmm. Although, just to clarify, in case any Secret Service are listening, right. we do not need um, intend to inflict any violence upon anyone, regardless of how much of a Nazi they are. 
Right. This is satire. <laughs> and, and it's free speech for as long as we have it. Hey, shout out to Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> well played. Well played. So, John, who would your purge of the week be? Definitely every Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee. They all are the biggest idiots. Oh, my God. I could not stand to watch those hearings, let alone listening to Brett Kavanaugh, but all of those people on the Senate Judiciary Committee and the sheer ignorance and his hatred they have for anything that does not um, enhance their white patriarchal hegemonic power was just torture to watch. And they're in power right now much like we see in the purge world. And all I can see now is just how much they're really going to try and take away my rights. And they finally have won their 30 year old 30 year strategy to take over not only our federal bench, but also the Supreme court is winning. And you and I will not see a liberal Supreme court probably for the rest of our lives. And I'm really disheartened by that. Yeah. So mine's Bethany Frankel and Carol Rodswell from Real Housewives of New York. If this is the vibe, I don't like it. And I don't you think don't it's just like a shit. Clearly not political, but if anyone's been watching, it's been a shit show season for the Real Housewives of New York. And I would purge both Bethany and Carol. I, I cannot put up with their feud anymore. So John gives you real world, I give you trash TV. <laughs> But in reality, aren't we really just in a trash TV world at the moment? Yeah, no, for sure. Our president is the height of trash TV. Well, I cannot imagine two better choices to purge at this moment. So. <laughs> so, <laughs> and honestly, I should be watching more trash TV than all the news I watch because I need a break. No, for sure. For sure. I think like I disconnect my brain weekly with Shaws of Sunset uh, Real Housewives of New York, uh, Southern Charm's a big one for me. So, so going back to Jane, our corporate America purger, or we think our corporate can... America purger. Well, right. first of all, you're in, we're introduced to her underlings, and that is Mark and Allison, who are definitely going to kill each other <laughs> by the time the series is over. Right, like I, the vibe from them was they're either going to purge each other or they're going to fuck and I would much rather see them purge they definitely are and I know um Jessica Mizel uh has liked a few of our tweets on Twitter hey. um uh, <laughs> so all I have to say is that we're rooting for you Allison because you're liking our social media posts so you go get Mark right right our survivor of the week is Jessica <laughs> Our survivor of the week is Jessica, definitely. So I'm really looking forward to seeing like this like soapbox drama between them um, really, I think, work itself out. And I'm living for it. And I'm also living for our married couple, uh, Rick and Jenna. And you, why don't you tell us a little about them? Sure. So if you remember when we were talking about the first, like, the first four, the, the original four Purge movies, right? We said that like movie one was a traditional throwback to horror. They're stuck in this contained space and that's where the horror happens, right? So I think we might have two of those happening um, currently. So we have Jane locked up on floor 38 and then we have Rick and Jenna, the most confusing married couple I've ever met. So Rick is played by Colin Woodle and Jenna is played by Hannah Anderson. 
and we meet them in their kind of like bougie uh, Studio City apartment. <laughs> is what it felt like. Uh, and they're the typical millennials who seem to have a decent amount of money for all that student loan debt they probably have. And they're doing well enough that Rick has a party that he's been invited to on purge night that could like solidify his like wealth as a millennial. So they have to go to this purge party to network. Like that's pretty much what I got. Like there, there wasn't a, a huge explanation of what would prompt a business meeting to happen at a purge party, but we're going to go with it. Right. So clearly the deal of a lifetime is awaiting them at this new founding father's purge party and they cannot afford to not go. And awesome. fundraiser. Right, right. They're going to fundraise for the new founding fathers as well. Um, exactly. I'm just going to yeah. be honest with you. If my promotion depends on going to some white supremacy new founding fathers party, I'm going to wait. <laughs> I'm just, I ain't, ain't going to go. I'm going to wait for my promotion because when, when Rick and Jenna are talking about this party, their plans sound kind of stupid. This, <laughs> this is what their plans sound like. So we'll go, we'll get in, get out, negotiate. We just won't purge. We won't participate. We'll like chill in a corner. Um, wrong. Just like wrong. Totally, um, wrong. totally wrong. That's not how this is going to work. Like the, the sirens are going to go off while you're at that party and then all bets are off, right? Like all bets are off. And clearly all bets are off because like with most horror show, horror films and shows, we're um, only eight minutes into the actual episode when we meet them. And what do we find out? We already have a girl on girl on guy threesome. I'm just literally, I remember I threw my remote down going, what the hell? Why is there some random threesome happening only eight minutes into this show? What does this have to do with anything? And of course, it was objectifying female bodies and glorifying a man being able to get two women. Well, it was uh, weird, right? We get these like, so the they're going to this party. They're in this Uber with a really annoyed Uber driver who's like, screw you for making me work on purge day, but I'm going to price gouge you to the hundredth degree. And then they're both having these like opposite flashbacks of like sexy threesome night. And so I think we're supposed to infer that at this new founding father's party, the, the mysterious threesome woman is there. So they seem a little bit more anxious about running into their awkward ex than they do about being purged, which hashtag, Get your shit together. <laughs> Hashtag, like, I really want to know what the surge pricing on Purge Night really is. Like, I thought a, a, a Uber in West Hollywood on Halloween was expensive. I can only imagine what that Purge ride night cost them. And maybe if they used a coupon, I would definitely love to see what Uber and Lyft's um, surge pricing schedule for this fictitious Purge world would be. Right. Like imagine if this is when you use that first time user coupon. <laughs> like, yeah. First ride's free. Maybe your last. Maybe your last. So aside from their like anxious threesome like projections, we also get to know them and get to kind of feel out their anxiety of being vetted. So having lived in LA, having grown up with a dad in the film industry, one of the things that always struck me was wherever you went, people were vetting for your like allegiance and um, attention and money, right? So like the new founding fathers reminds me a lot of when you're in LA 
of what, John? What do you think it reminds me of? Um, definitely Scientology. Yes, yes. Like there is nothing cool that you went to in LA that Scientologists don't show up at. And if you take Fountain in Los Angeles, Fountain Avenue, you always pass by the Scientology Center. And every time I have people visiting and we go right by it, people are always astonished that this like temple to this quote unquote religion actual tax scam is actually just right there and in the open like it's so glorified and it's so hollywood it is just possible it is just insane to look at when you think about all the energy that goes into that right so so again um rick and jenna are more anxious about their ex and the the scientologists than they are about being purged um which is interesting. It's just kind of like a weird way to present their anxiety for the night. Like I'm worried about like being cut up into pieces. Uh, this is my last, uh, like this is my last day on earth. And like, they're like, shit, do you think she's still pissed about the threesome? Or I don't know how to say no to these people. Right. It's just like a strange thing. Um, but as we get to kind of see them doing their networking bougie thing at this party, uh, the purge goes hard on some of the themes that they're really good at going hard on, which is <laughs> going hard on, sorry, um, which is privilege, right? And kind of this nod to an upstairs downstairs dynamic of, we get it first with the the driver and the Uber surging and the idea that like for a lot of people, there's economic realities that are tied to like whether or not they go out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have Jenna who ends up talking to this like Downton Abbey style maid in this mansion of the party. And the maid's like, you don't look like a purger. Like you look super sweet. Like, why are you here? Um, and then kind of alludes to the fact that some people can't choose not to be. So it's always good to be reminded that like the purge folks are super aware that privilege and money go hand in hand with support for the new founding fathers. Um, there's, there's like no kind of blurring of it. They're pretty open about it. They are definitely open about it. The new founding fathers are there to not only allow you to kill one night a year, um, whoever you would like, except them, don't forget, but also the sheer fact that they, much like um, any other political party, need to fundraise so that way they can stay in power. Um, before I forget about it, Marcy, you know what I did realize about this couple is that they have been sold a sand and security system. Did you catch that when they were leaving to get into their Uber? Oh shit, I didn't catch that. So if you're listening to this podcast, which you are, cause you're listening to us. So that was really stupid of me to say, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Thank but you. <laughs> this is your time that with any movie, like kind of shout out in this universe, you're going to take a drink. So um, definitely a shout out to almost, I think movie one. So I really think we're almost in the movie one type timeline because we really don't know where we are, but they have a sand and security system um, that he hits before they get in their Uber. So when you think about privilege and millennials and maybe casting this, um, you know, guys about really who you are and what you represent to society, they have everything, um, they want everything, but at the end of the day, it's all a farce. Right. So like the sand and security system is like the Beats headphones of the purge, right? It's like, it's saying something, but it's not really saying much. Um, 
I like that you caught that. And, and I agree, actually, I hadn't thought about like, where are we on the purge timeline? Um, are we closer to that initial episode, like the initial film, or are we closer to the end, right? Like to, to an uprising, or is it after the uprising? And like, it's just not gotten better. Um, we don't actually know. We, I'm sure we'll find out uh, based off of the kind of political dialogue that'll happen about the new founding fathers but we don't know. So John, were you super creeped out when all the new founding fathers folks at this raging party pull out the masks of murderers? Yeah, it was totally weird. Like I've been to, okay, I live in Los Angeles. I've been to some really messed up parties here before. And let me tell you, this one really took the cake. So what happens is, is the purge is about to begin. They're sitting there. They're so uncomfortable because will or will not this woman, they had a threesome come out, but then, oh my God, they really don't want to purge, but they have to be here and they're stuck for 12 hours. It's like, but what happens is, is all the maids and go around and they hand out masks that are like homages to like Uh, murderers of the past so you have like a Charles Manson you have all these like psychotic killers that like very um in NFF and the new founding fathers like rhetoric like cleansed the souls of people before the purge was actually a thing and recognized in doing so so these people that we think as killers and murderers are actually glorified members of society in the purge universe Right. So I kept thinking about it, like, if, if they were, if they were at a party, like, what are the, what are the masks that we would see that would, like, really shake you up, right? Like, some folks, like, really do follow, like, uh, shout out to my favorite murder, like, people know these murderers by heart in this timeline, in our real world, um, but they're not, like, commemorated as, like, heroes, To see that in this dystopian world, the new founding fathers look at people like Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, as like people that you would ritualistically celebrate on your purge night is extremely disturbing. And there's two things that I don't know if you caught. That room is entirely white. There is not a single person of color in there. Um, And I even double checked on a couple other folks who are following the show if I missed it or if my eye has like confirmation bias and it didn't. And then the murderers that they chose were all male. Um, Not that that's surprising because most mass murderers are. Um, But it was interesting to kind of read the room, read the commemoration of those who paved the way, these evil men that they're looking up to, right? And um, and then going back, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a parallel to our blue cult, right? There's a parallel in the rhetoric of this night is a release, right? It's a release of all of our urges. It's, it's life-changing. Like this is where you find freedom. Um, there's a parallel. And so they need these folks to kind of feel very similar heightened feelings to then participate in the purge, right? So the downtrodden need to feel super downtrodden and then they need to feel like death is a release that is natural and good and they need to do it. And then the folks who are systemically oppressing everyone else uh, by purging uh, need to also feel like this is their calling, this is how they release, this is how they embrace their humanity, um, and then they they have this life-changing experience, right? Um, so there's something very primal and animalistic about that sense of, like, 
I have to do this to live. Like I have to do, to do this to feel. Um, it's primalist. Like it's not based on any type of like moral or ethical, um, like society. It's based purely on urge, the urge to release and not feel pain or the urge to release and feel power. Uh, or the urge to fit in just like what we see with Rick and Jenna. There's this ritual around the purge that you either participate in it, you're a victim of it, you watch it, you don't participate in it, or you feel like you have to quote unquote participate in it because the cool kids are doing it. And definitely the new founding fathers, I think in the universe at this time, have control over the rhetoric that this is exactly what you need to do in order to not only economically survive, to be cool, to be a part of society, what level of society you're part in. And it's almost like those people that can't be a part of it, they're just waiting to be picked off. So is it this year? Is it next year? Is it 10 years down the road? Nobody knows. But if you're a part of a certain level of class, it comes down to the animal nature that you don't have any morals or ethics on this one night of the year. You get to go to the primal sense of kill or be killed. And definitely that has a class um, intention as well as race, sexuality, and everything there a part of that conversation. Right. And I will say, like, I think that the argument that like it's purge or be purged, um, we've seen that argument historically, right? Like when you talk to some folks who... I'm not gonna say defend Nazis, but do some apologetics for the fact that like entire villages like sat by as like trains starved to death near them or the folks were like, yeah, but like some of the lower like SS officers had no choice. And it's it's always such a slippery slope, right? Like I can understand the individualized uh, stories like anecdotally of like, yeah, like I was at a party, like first off, like uh, Jenna, Rick, y'all didn't have to go to the party. So you made a choice to go to the party, right? And you would have to make a choice to purge if that's what this is all going to come down to. Um, Which it definitely sure, For sure. You're not going to get out of this, like, Charles Manson party without purging or being purged. Um, But there's choices that led up to that, right? Particularly for two super privileged dudes. Like, if it was a poor family who has someone come in, I don't consider self-defense purge. I also wouldn't consider traumatic purging purge. So I think if like people break into your house to purge, they kill someone and you rage kill them back or you rage kill someone defending yourself. I don't think that's the same as like the, Oh shit. I, I guess like my, my like friends are doing it. I, I have to do it. I think there's a lot of nuance to what, what your responsibility is in this like mythical world of the purge and shout out to the first movie again when you find out that um the character that Sandin's son let in actually killed one of those purgers because he was trying to defend himself and he ended up killing him in retort now was he actually participating in the purge no he was trying to he people were trying to purge and kill him um also just how they take away the word kill and replace it with purge you know he became a victim of the purge and by no fault of his own he ended up killing someone Right. And then I would say that James Sandin made a conscious choice to hand him over. Mm-hmm. And so that is no longer a purge or be purged. That's dude, you decided to purge. Like, uh, so I think that's actually a really good example of how I think you have to differentiate the nuances of culpability and morality in a world like this. So, so we're at this party, uh, everyone pulls out their favorite murder masks, uh, threesome girl walks down the stairs. Uh, so, 
mysterious woman. Uh, we don't have a name for her, but she's played by Lily Simmons, who has been awesome, by the way, on Twitter. Like, if you follow her, she's doing a bunch of, like, shout outs to the show, which is great. So, mystery woman, she's gorgeous, walks down the stairs. Everyone's in awe. Everyone's anxious. And then the purge sirens ring, right? And so this episode, this introductory episode where we knew by the end of the episode, the sirens would ring and probably for the next nine episodes, we're going to be in a very kind of slow detailed breakdown of the next 12 hours. Um, I just, I'm going to call it the long night of the soul. Uh, It is a nod to my obviously Catholic upbringing, but They've got a long nine hours left in front of them. Technically 12 if we're going by the the purge 12-hour night. But um, yeah, there are- A long story and a lot of story, I think, left to be told in these um, very specific three to four story slash plot lines that we have unraveling before us. You kind of, as the purge sirens go, you're introduced one last time to all of the story- and the characters that are going to be a part of this TV show. And specifically, you see the choices that they're making, the choices that they've made, and the choices they may not want to make, but they might have to um, for the rest of the series. Right. So I think there's a couple themes that kind of come up in this first episode. Um, The first one I would say is uh, trauma. What does a world look like that is full of trauma? We have Penelope who the pain of this world and loss of her parents has driven her to join a cult to dehumanize herself so that the world cannot dehumanize her. And I think that's super important because that is how we process trauma. We make ourselves smaller, we take meaning out. Um, That's how depression works, right? It sucks the life out of you. And then um, we don't know Miguel and his processing of the trauma, but my guess is it's there. Right. We don't know what war he was at, but I'm going to guess the new founding fathers being at war is traumatic. Um, So the theme of trauma, personalized community, how how communal trauma is processed, individual family trauma, I think is super important. The second one is privilege. Right. What does privilege look like in a world where the power dynamics are so off? Um, I like we said, you know, you have this upstairs downstairs thing going on. Um, you've got a look at three different storylines that all seem to have very different intersections of privilege um, and oppression. So I think that's an important thing to always keep in mind when you're in the purge universe. Um, And then the cult mentality, right? Were you surprised with the fact that they're going to go into um, the psychosis and psychology of, of cults, John? Definitely not. I mean, I was half expecting it. And I'm really, I think, happy that we're going there because I was really fascinated by some of the ways in which the films alluded to people sacrificing themselves. Um, um, Specifically also with the third movie, which our listeners know is my absolute favorite and the religious symbology with all of what they try to do to Charlie Charlie Rowan and how these people are really mimicking that type of religious... Uh, or the religiosity of the purge, and perhaps it's the new religions of the America. Maybe they're in their third great awakening, just like what we see when we listen to, um, you know, or read about American religious history. Maybe this is what has cast people ahead and they're finding solace or some type of metaphysical fulfillment. Two things. One, I can hear the purge sirens going off behind you. I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> they happen all the time. 
Two, I'm so gonna mock you over something because I always said this. Symbology is a word that I used to use because I thought it went with Egyptology, which was my favorite thing to study when I was a kid. I don't know if symbology is a word. Probably not. And, <laughs> um, but you know what? If our president can say whatever he says, we're gonna make that a word. So listeners, Tell us what your favorite made-up word is. No, tell us what your favorite symbology is. <laughs> My favorite symbology is definitely Marcy mocking me. I love you so much. I really I love you. I literally, half the time just growing up in Wisconsin, you understand that half of what you know is actually not true and was a lie to you by the conservative state. So you know what? My mind, since moving to West Hollywood, has just been opened up. It's all right. I use, what was it? Chronicle Pain last week, like Chronicles of Narnia. So I'm with you. I'm totally with you. John, what what do you expect to see in these next nine episodes? Well, I definitely expect to see a whole hell of a lot more of this mystery threesome woman um, based on only um, seeing her, seeing the episode for eight minutes and already seeing her backside. That's for sure. I, I mean, I think we're, we're going to have to get some some backstory there. Uh, to justify why they were so afraid of seeing her and not of being purged. <laughs> definitely. I definitely am looking forward to seeing what the deal that um, Jane um, does with this woman at the bottom of the stairs. So um, listeners, she leaves the 38th floor to go do some type of random deal with someone on the other side of this door. So very um, upstairs, downstairs, us versus them. And the deal cannot begin until the purge night starts. And so I'm really excited to see what that character comes about. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Mark and Allison really go at each other with more sassiness. I know, right? I'm, I'm interested in seeing who's the first one to break on that bus. So whoever those kids were when they got on that purge bus, <laughs> they're not the same person now that they've seen their buddy, cute blonde dude, cut up into pieces, right? Like there's no way that driving from purge A to purge B, they're the same kids that were like, I cannot wait for this giving. <laughs> I cannot wait to give myself to be hacked into a million pieces. There's no right. exact way. Right. So I'm, I'm very excited for, first off, who's the first person to break, right? how awkward is the silence on that bus right right now like and then how do you how do you go forward like do you guys riot against this like cult leader or are we still going to get a couple people who get dropped off like um faith is a weird thing right like i could still see some of those people being like you know he just didn't pray hard enough which is why it hurt right um that's, that's <laughs> you just didn't pray hard enough marcy i no. don't know if you know that is my catholic trauma coming through Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah no I'm if, if I'm putting myself from my cult days in a mentality that would which was my mentality of, of complete and utter self-sacrifice right I could see them on that bus being like you know let's let's call him PETA because he reminded me of PETA from the Hunger Games um PETA, who would definitely be purged oh PETA would be the first one purged they'd be like PETA get off the bus like get off the bus PETA also, yeah. what the hell happened in that last book? I, I can't even. We should probably bring, we should bring in some mocking chains into these next couple episodes of the podcast. Um, but if I'm thinking as 
Colt Marcy circa 2000, like five, I'd look at PETA and I'd be like, man, he's shaking. Like he definitely doesn't trust the Lord enough. And like yeah. when he starts crying and be like, that bitch did not say enough rosaries. And when they take the ax and like chuck it at his neck and he cries out, I'd be like, man, blessed are the meek. <laughs> It's just, it's funny when, when we're kind of breaking it down as like two assholes on the internet. Right. But I know those people, like, I know the people who would be like, this is my ultimate sacrifice. Like this, this, whatever, whatever the metaphorical purge is in their religiosity, it's there. And the assholes in the bus would be like, I would never scream out. Like I would never shake. Like I love whatever their God is. I love God so much. And he knows, or she knows that I love, no, let's fuck it. No one who loves a she God is going to be in a purge bus, but like, it's just, it's weird for me to see it and be like, this is such a far removed dystopian nightmare, but I also know these folks. Like I know them. I was them. I'll be honest. Like if I watch like the love of my life circa 2005, get off that bus, which he would have, he would totally have been like, I'm the first to go. Like, this is like the most beautiful sacrifice in the world. And I would have been like, my God, he's so beautiful and holy as he walks off this bus. And then I see him get chopped up. I'm not staying on that bus, John. <laughs> I'm out. Like, I'm so out. Well, speaking of being chopped up, Marcy, who are you rooting for to stay alive? And who do you think the first dead person of the main plot point? like characters that we've seen are gonna be so i am simultaneously rooting for this person to stay alive but they're so the first person who's dead that maid (laughs) from the party uh that talked to jenna like she knew what was up and she had some like serious snark for jenna when she was like what the fuck are you doing here you don't look like you purge I really want her to make it through (laughs) i want her and the uber driver to make it through um but my guess what happens if they get the same Uber driver that to take them home. Oh shit. You have to tip really well. He better they better have they better have left a 20% tip. Seriously. And like a five-star review, like every emoji you can think of. So yeah, no, I'm hoping for Uber driver and the maid to make it, but I'm also gonna bet my money on the fact that, that maid is the first person who's out. I definitely um, am hoping Allison makes it because I love that character. Her snark is just right up my alley. Like I am obsessed with it. And I definitely think the first person to go is going to be Mark because Allison's going to push him out a window. Do you think we relate to Allison? Cause we've been underlings at offices where we're like dying. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, but I'm here for her. Me too. Allison, we're rooting for you. We're rooting for you, Allison. And if you want to come on the podcast, just let us know. (laughs) So, Marcy, um, I'm pretty sure we have a lot to look forward to um, this next episode. I I am really excited. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And breaking down the episodes is is so much fun because it feels like real life. It does feel like real life. And in real life, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And please make sure to leave us a review because that is how we show up in people's feeds higher. Um, And we definitely want to bring the world of the purge and the pop culture theologians to a podcast near you. So we will see you all next week. Bye, y'all. 
Happy purging.